Hey, Aria. Have you ever seen the movie Cars? Um, yes. I have seen it at least 60 times. My brother would force me to watch it with him every week. Like when we were kids, like every week we would have a movie night and it was between Finding Nemo and Cars. And because he's the younger one and he's the one that would cry the most, I had to watch Cars every single week. I know that movie by heart. That's that's a beautiful tale. Uh, I'm I'm sorry, younger siblings. You know they 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 get you like that. But hey, you know you know their you know their little faces on the on the cars in yes. cars. You know yeah. the faces on the cars in cars. <laughs> you remember? Yes, those? I do. Yes. Uh huh. Wild, right? <laughs> it's amazing, and it's like really interesting because I feel like the developers of that movie of Cars were able to really take the concept of people seeing faces on cars and just like applying it really nicely to a kid's film. Oh, it's, it's a beautiful piece of cinema, uh, very reflective of our reality. And I just, it's, it's interesting that we do that though. Cause we did, we see faces on, on cars. Like, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the ladybug eyelashes that people put on bugs on the headlights of bugs. Yeah, I have. I have yeah. that. I mean, I heard that, that, makes you very angry oh i'm not a fan at all no no every time i see ladybug eyelashes or those antlers or those red noses during the christmas times i just it i just fills me with rage and i shouldn't get that mad about it i really shouldn't because it's cute i guess but i don't know like that's just that's not for them it's not for cars yeah so but we do also see faces and a lot of random things as well like there's, this is, I guess, a really like common one that you can see across cultures, but seeing a face on the moon, mm. like there's just a moon boy up there moon and man. he has a big face. And usually, I mean, usually the moon is like classified as a female. So I feel like uh, Celeste. She's beautiful and I'm in love with her. We also have light sockets. We see faces in them. When I was a youngin, when I was a fresh youngin, I uh, I got a sharpie and I made I gave them little top hats and little like mustache. They were very cute, very cute light sockets. That's the best thing to do with your light socket than to actually use it is to give them outfits. Oh, oh yeah, very nice. Absolutely, yeah, dress them up. <laughs> so this phenomenon of seeing faces in random objects, seeing patterns everywhere is called pareidolia. Now, the definition of pareidolia in the Merriam-Webster dictionary is the tendency to perceive a specific, often meaningful image in a random or ambiguous visual pattern. The term comes from the Greek words para, meaning beside or beyond, and eidolon, meaning form or image. So the history behind pareidolia was kind of bizarre it was thought to be a sign of psychosis. So if someone saw a face in something, people would think that they were crazy and then send them to go get help or they would be ostracized by society. That sounds about right for history. That makes sense. It's a very clear historical pattern. Mm -hmm. But there was also later on in history, we had Leonardo da Vinci, who documented his experiences with pareidolia by seeing it in stones. So he saw these like 
stones that were being used for buildings. And he would look at the patterns and the way in which they were carved and kind of see an overall face formed in those patterns. And he would just be, you know, writing it down in his journal, in his diary. Isn't that cool? That is pretty nifty. I mean, you know, Mr. Da Vinci, um, pretty good at making faces. So makes sense he'd be able to find them. Very, he was, and Mr. Da Vinci, what was he, Red? It was an, he was an artist, Aria. Is that, an is that artist, what you're trying to- Engineer. Push, push me towards him. Entrepreneur. Artist, engineer. Polymath. A polymath, gosh. How could I have been so blind? Yes. Wow. He was a polymath. Da Vinci was a polymath and he saw and applied both mathematical ability, artistic ability to document the pareidolia he saw in these stones. So why do humans see faces everywhere? What is the neuroscience behind pareidolia? Well, there's some history kind of with the phenomenon of pareidolia. Really, if you want to get into the money part of it, guys... If you want to get some money, listen up closely right now. There was a woman in, I think, the UK who was able to sell her cheese toasty, her grilled cheese sandwich, for $28,000. Why, may you ask? Well, this woman was eating her grilled cheese sandwich and then picked it up to take another bite and she threw it down dramatically. Why, Ren? Why, why, Arya? I'm dying to know. Why did she throw? Why did she cast away her cheese toasty? Tell me. Because she saw the face of a woman staring back at her. And to her, that woman looked a lot like the Virgin Mary. The Virgin Mary. The Virgin Mary. Oh, wow. She really do be everywhere. She do be. And the sandwich actually sold for $28,000. Her half-eaten grilled cheese sandwich with the Virgin Mary on it. And many people saw the Virgin Mary on it, but people also saw Madonna's face. Madonna. Madonna in the cheese toasty. It's pretty interesting. Uh, I wonder if it's a it kind of like that blue dress, blue or black dress situation, <laughs> blue or black or white. And kids like, do you see the Virgin Mary or Madonna? You choose. <laughs> See, the thing is, is that it depends on your, obviously we're going to get into it later on in the discussion, but it depends on your past experiences, what you have seen the most in your life or you have the most experience with, you're going to see and prefer to see whatever you look at. Right. Projecting your, your past experience. Well, it's good to know that that's a, an easy way to make money is to go, hey guys, check this out. It looks like Madonna. Uh, and then you sell it for tons of money. Uh, I'll have to I'll have to take that into consideration. <laughs> um, but it's interesting that we do this, that we track patterns like the Virgin Mary or Madonna. Uh, the neuroscience behind it is still, you know, in the process of being studied. But uh, essentially, humans are designed to see patterns and faces everywhere. It's something we are physically, biologically built to do um, in our in our brains. We have that that machinery to do this. So some scientists believe that the brain uses top-down processing when it receives and information that gives them faces in random places. So top-down processing is basically uh, 
the idea that we are using our general knowledge and past experiences, like you were saying, Aria, and what we generally know about things to figure stuff out. So we take we take the amalgamation of our knowledge and apply it to situations where we have to figure out specific things. And when it comes to finding patterns, the brain likes to make predictions uh, and fill in the blanks based on past knowledge of things that we have already experienced. So that's why when we when we start um, looking at tiles and bread, cheese, toasties, and such, we might, we might predict that we see a face there, even if it's really just two dots and a line. Uh, we go, oh, wow, that looks, like, that looks like a face to me. And it's, it's a lot about also just, like you said, two dots and a line. It's about those basic shapes that make a face. And if you're really looking at it probability-wise, it's interesting that the pattern of finding two dots in a line with all of the other possible patterns that are happening in the world, that's quite simple to see and be able to seek out. So it kind of explains why we can see faces everywhere as well, in addition to our own ability. Oh, definitely, definitely. And I think the the, the term used for that two lines or two, two dots in a line type, very basic fundamental face shape that people make when they just draw a little smiley face is coarse face schema. So like anything that is a coarse face schema is something that your brain looks at and goes, ah, yes, face, I know what that is. Um, and the region of your brain that's responsible for doing that and letting you know that that is maybe a face is the visual cortex, which is in the center and the back of your brain. Um, it's triggered because you're looking at something and processing that visual info. So when faces are seen, quote unquote, the frontal and occipital lobes, the front part of your brain, like the forehead, where everyone's like, ah, oh, your frontal lobe's not fully developed. You can't see faces. That's something people say, right? For sure. For sure. Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> they become really active. And this part of the brain is called the right fusiform face area. And when that right fusiform face area gets triggered, we are able to see faces and recognize human faces. So that part of the brain uh, determines how we see faces in patterns. The neuroscience behind why we see faces is certainly interesting, but it kind of only explains how we see faces, like physically, biologically, what is going on in your heads that makes you see faces in places where there aren't any. The reason as to why we see faces, though, gets a little bit more complicated, and there's lots of different opinions uh, surrounding why pareidolia exists. Um, one popular explanation is evolution, the idea that we needed to recognize faces because we need other humans around us for protection. You know, humans are social creatures. We like to stick in packs, if you will. But that's just one possible explanation is that evolution is at play here. I think another really interesting fact when we were researching this is that pareidolia may have also evolved as a human's need to make sense of their own fears. So it's not really a genetic evolution. It's more of a psychological or sociological evolution. So humans needed to make sense of their own fears. And so they tried to find human characteristics in things that scare them, like thunderstorms or other disasters or concepts like death. And human characteristics were given to those concepts. So an example of this, I think a really good layout would be the Greek gods. 
Zeus, Poseidon, Hades. Zeus was the god of the sky. He ruled the skies. He was in charge of thunderstorms. And really, they gave him the characteristics. The Greeks gave him the characteristics that one would usually expect from a thunderstorm. Very abrasive, very impulsive, very ubiquitous because he rules the skies. He's everywhere. And then Poseidon ruled the seas. He was described as a sometimes go with the flow guy, but he could get really angry and cause a lot of damage like the sea. My favorite depiction of Poseidon is the one in Percy Jackson in which he's a Hawaiian shirt wearing free, free loving kind of guy, you know. That was a good one. A good one. Loved those books. I wish I could have read more. But... Then we have Hades, who is the god of the underworld, not the god of death, that is someone else, but he rules the underworld. And of course, his characteristics were that what people would expect from death. So this was a way for humans to make sense of their own fears and the stuff around them. And this may be why religious people are more likely to see faces in ambiguous objects more likely than atheists, which is why I was saying when the people saw the cheese toasty, there were two different things that people saw. People saw either the Virgin Mary or Madonna. Now, when I looked at the picture personally, I just saw a woman. I would not have likened it to the Virgin Mary because I'm not very familiar with her depictions because I am not uh, Christian or I didn't grow up in much of a Christian culture. Right, which kind of goes back to how it is our prior convictions and experiences that really influence the way we pareidolia works, the way what we see is entirely uh, based on what you've experienced. Exactly. Yeah. So that is certainly interesting. Sorry, I was looking at this picture of the cheese toasty, and if I'm honest, um, she just looks like a scary scary little imprint on a piece of bread. I, she I just don't... looks like a normal, like I would say that she looks like she's like a normal woman. I see a woman. I see her. Just a generic woman. I see that yeah. little face in there. Pareidolia is doing its job, uh, but it's definitely interesting. Um, one thing that's super interesting and maybe a little bit controversial to the belief that we acquired this through like evolution and the human need to explain our surroundings uh, is that animals also can experience pareidolia. There's rhesus monkeys, they recognize faces. Um, birds, it, for some reason, it's really important for birds to be able to recognize faces. It, it influences their development and things like that. And we won't get too much into it, but it is interesting that humans are not uh, alone in this pareidolia phenomenon. Another interesting bit on that line of thinking is that we can do this from birth from newborn age, we immediately prefer to seek faces. Mm -hmm. So some, sometimes you don't even need the prior experience. It's like an instinctual thing that the human brain seeks and uses pareidolia. So, so my question actually, because you mentioned that animals can also experience pareidolia and see faces. My question is that, do they see what they would consider their own face, like their own species face? like the general layout. Right, I guess that goes back to the coarse face schema and just the generic like dot dot line 
right. smiley face. So uh-huh. they just see like their own species face. Yeah, I suppose it's subjective in that way. But that's interesting. That's to, something to, interesting. Yeah, that an animal could have a concept of what its own face looks like or should look like. But then, then, okay, then you have the whole phenomenon with like animals who live in the wild who may come across their own species more often or other species, and that may affect their general knowledge and how they use top-down processing. But then you have domesticated animals. Mm. Do you think like domesticated animals, obviously, like if you have a dog in a family, just one dog, and that dog is used to seeing human faces all the time. Does that affect their ability to see different types of quote unquote faces? So like, does that affect their own ability to see dog faces? Does that affect their ability to see human faces? That's a really interesting question. Definitely something to think on. And one that I, I do not have the research at the present time to answer. I guess our listeners being the curious people that they are, will do the research themselves. Yeah. But we don't have the answers right now. Mm. can't have all the answers i'm afraid the unfinished mind is truly (laughs) the unfinished unfinished. mind (laughs) all right so ren you mentioned that our general knowledge is really important for essentially creating this ability to see faces and it also shows us that our imagination, which roots from what we've experienced, the environment we grew up in, basically our entire conscious lifetimes in which we have spent time absorbing information, whether it's auditory or visual, anything like that, it heavily influences what we see in random things, which is why religious people, they grew up around, say, Christians grew up around seeing Jesus, the Virgin Mary, they grew up around that visual information. So obviously they would be more likely to see those images in random things. Meanwhile, people who grew up in, I guess, like less religious households, I think I can speak for myself when I say that, I would just see a woman or a man. I wouldn't liken it to a religious connotation. Right, right. The religious iconography that everyone seems to be so in love with. Yeah, it's crazy popular um, because of, I guess, I guess the amount of people that are raised, Mm -hmm. um, raised usually Christian. I feel like seeing Jesus in bread is like the most common thing on the internet. Is it? I remember being younger and you'd hear like, oh, this looks like Jesus. It's just like a latte. You don't see anything like it could be a face. It could just be like uh-huh. a from the 70s. You don't really know, but it is interesting how common it is. So our imagination, what we've experienced in the past, our lives kind of show us what we should see. And this is why pareidolia is, as a concept, used in psychology to gauge one's mental health because what you see is such a heavy indication of your past and your experiences and your mental health. And an example of this, Ren, would you like to tell us more about it? I would. Uh, an exa- a common example of using psychology uh, with pareidolia is the Rorschach inkblot test. You may be familiar with it. It's those symmetrical inkblot pictures, I suppose. Sometimes they look like little butterflies because they're, you know, symmetrical half and half. Um, But they're very commonly used as a psychology tool to 
analyze how someone is thinking, how they're doing mentally, what's going on in that little funky little head of theirs, right? So its components, the ink plot test itself, shape, darkness of the ink, color of the ink, all that jazz are used together to make an image that is then interpreted by an individual. Now, people have wildly different in interpretations of the same ink blot, and this is supposed to indicate one's mental state and what their experiences have been uh, in the past and what their life looks like. So psychologists will often use this tool to assess their patients, see if their thoughts are trending towards dark materials and things like that. It's, it's complicated um, and probably a little subjective, but psychology so often is. So that's that, I suppose. But the Rorschach inkblot test, common classic example of, of pareidolia. Uh, another interesting phenomenon cropping up lately is that computers are starting to have pareidolia. Really, they're being trained to have it. Um, so scientists have been training computers to be able to use pareidolia in order to recognize faces. So commonly facial recognition technology, which is a little bit scary to think you could be going about your day and some CCTV is going to look at you and know that that is a face. But anyways, there's a program called Paradoloop that produces many different possibilities of facial layouts and then uses those to search for patterns in objects that match those. So scientists have been able to teach your computer how to see you. Hey, buddy, how's it going? And that's why we don't trust the robots. Never trust a robot. Never trust the robots. So this way, I guess, computers see quote unquote faces. It kind of reminds me of how humans can use, you know, their past experiences. They're essentially given, computers are given a database of faces, like possible faces and shapes to choose from. And that database is huge. Just like how us, when we lived in a world where we could see many people, we have that database in our heads and we were able to use that to see faces. And that's just how people are. It's just how people are. It's, it's part of our nature. And going off of how people are, I suppose, uh, humans tend to use pareidolia in their, in their creations a lot. Uh, this is really prevalent with artists like da Vinci, like we were talking about earlier, our man da Vinci. Artists use pareidolia in their work to draw connections, usually to praise or criticize something like a painting or a religion. And we often also see abstract artists using this pareidolia because abstract art involves using the ima imagination, opening up your, your inner eye and, and being open to the idea that yes, this blob of miscellaneous ink and, 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 and crayon is in fact um, the Mona Lisa <laughs> if she had been run through a, a trash compactor a few times. Oh and my gosh. <laughs> I'm just saying. Uh, like, I love it. Continue. I love abstract art. Huge fan. But sometimes, sometimes I, I have, I just have a few questions. That's all. Right. Um, yeah, I just, I, I just want to talk. You know, I just, I just like to talk. Um, <laughs> Pollock, uh, do not interact. Anyways, Leonardo da Vinci used pareidolia as a device for painters and so do a lot of artists to this day. And I think it's pretty nifty. I like to, I like to make um, things with faces all the time that shouldn't have faces. I mean, that's why like some people have, I guess you said that humans are inherently social creatures. This ability of ours is innate. 
I do think that humans are drawn to faces. I think that we are constantly looking out for faces. Just It's just an innate ability, something that comes so naturally to us. So I think that artists may use this to draw people into their art, to really grab their attention. And that's something that advertisers and marketers do as well. So advertisements that used pareidolia and had hidden faces of some sort, whether they were multiple faces or just one face, quote unquote, were more frequently recognized than ads that did not use pareidolia. And that increased the brand's recognition, just making the company and the ad more successful. And I think that that is so cool, yet so creepy that we are being manipulated on a such a like minor level. It's incredible to me. And so pretty meta. Exactly. Like there's now that I'm thinking about it, there's so many advertisements around us that either you know, straight up use a human being's face or use patterns in which we can identify faces in which we can see that basic facial structure that you mentioned earlier. So these things seem familiar to us so we can recognize them if they are showed to us again, which is also something that researchers found is that they were able to show the advertisement to the people again, and those people were able to remember it. So marketers obviously will make use of pareidolian images to better capture consumer attention. And we're subtly manipulated. That is pretty fascinating. I mean, it makes sense that we would exploit (laughs) pareidolia in this way. That is, that Mm -hmm. is what we do as people, I suppose. Um, But yeah, it is that is some interesting stuff. I don't like the idea that I'm being faced oh, oh. <laughs> faced <laughs> with, with manipulation in my advertisement every day. That's, well, that's rough stuff. Um, it's interesting to me that we, that we do, like you were saying earlier, we, we just want to create faces. We want to find faces in things because it's like a comforting thing and, and we will we'll look for them in everything. And even like aliens... <laughs> To go in a completely different direction. When we when we conceptualize aliens, they're always humanoid. They always look like yeah. They, they, they have, have like faces. faces. They have a head, two arms. I mean, sometimes right. two arms, two legs. At least mo- most commonly, and it's Martians. Martians, right? But just most commonly, it's we we immediately assume that they would have a face. It's just and it's just interesting how how big of a role faces have. Uh, to humans so interesting that uh, and I don't know if we we didn't talk about this earlier which we should have but anyways um, there's a part of the visual cortex that is only responsible for recognizing faces that is the only thing it does so without it you can't recognize faces and there's a really famous artist who has this condition Um, I almost want to stop and look up the name of the condition Um, but there's a famous artist who has this condition where the part of the brain that recognizes faces is broken and he has to go, he paints portraits of people, but he can't recognize faces. And for that reason, he has to go like pixel by pixel and zoom in on a picture of someone's face in order to assemble the idea of a face because he has lost the ability to recognize the face. Oh, he lost it. 
he lost it. Right. So oh. it's possible. It's possible to, it's possible to break facial recognition. It's possible to lose pareidolia as well. And that, that could be its own episode of our podcast, but it is super interesting that um, we rely on it so heavily. And when we lose that part of ourselves, we can't, we can't, it can't come back. We can't recognize faces, but um, it is crucial. It is very crucial in our, in our day-to-day lives. Yeah. I mean, like newborns are born drawn to faces. They recognize faces from birth. It's just an innate ability that humans have. So pareidolia is obviously a huge part of our society and we don't exactly know the reason why we can see faces everywhere it's never been proven there are hypotheses why humans can see faces everywhere we know how we can but we don't know the why and i guess that's something for you all to wonder about Thank you for listening to The Unfinished Mind this week. Thank you for tuning in. We are so very grateful. Join us next week for some interesting thing about societies. Now, we're not going to give you too much details about that because it's going to be very interesting. So you should totally listen to it. Thanks for stopping by. It's been real. It's been good. It's been facially understood. Um, Have a good one, everyone. Have a good one, everyone. This is Arya and Ren signing off. Goodbye. Goodbye.